0: The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Good morning. I hate to break up these conversations there. Seem like they're going really well, but I'm not involved in them, so I don't really care. Um, I'm just kidding. How's everybody doing today? Are we excited to to pick back up on Revelation? Um, Yes, we all are excited. You know, I used to read Revelation and then I'd open it up at chapter one and then I'd close it right away because a couple of of different reasons was was one, it was hard for me to understand Um, and two, I was like, I don't really care about the future because I was like, I'm already a Christian, I'm going to go, you know, to, to heaven anyways and so I was like, it's not really important for me. Um, but boy, was I wrong! Um, last week, Pastor Brian was talking about the Church of Ephesus and how how they um, were doing good deeds. Like I, I feel like you know our church, we do good deeds as individuals. We we do good deeds as Christians, um, but they forgot about their first love. They forgot about why they were doing what they were doing in. I think some of us can also agree with that is sometimes we get in a routine, right? We just do things to do things and we forget why we're doing them, whether that's a certain task at our house or our job or even in our relationship with Jesus, we just do things to do things because we've always done it that way and we forget why we're doing it. And Jesus came in a loving way to Ephesus and said, hey, I want to remind you why you're doing these things. And so today, um, we're going to talk about two different churches. And so we have about three and a half hours, so I'm going to try going really quick through these, through these two churches. Um, and we, we have a map that we've been using, um, so we're just going to pull that up real quick so we can look at the two churches that we're going to. So last week, Ephesus was number one. Um, and this week, number two, is Smyrna and we're going up to, we're not going to, oh uh, yeah, Pergamos, we're going to three. So this was the, the way that the, the letters were being delivered. So the first one is Smyrna. So we're just going to jump right into it. Um, so if you can go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. In verse 8, it says this, To the church of Smyrna, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, There are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, The devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So we all have ears, so this applies to us as well. And while we're going through this, I want to remind you and myself as well that this this letter that is written that Jesus wrote or that, that he was giving us applied to the church back then. It applies to the church today and we are made of the church, right? We make up the church. So this applies to us as well. So Smyrna, they called it the crown of Asia. They say it was the most beautiful city in Asia Minor in that day. It was a wealthy city. It was approximately 25 miles north of Ephesus. And it was an important seaport as well. Ephesus, they were seaports. It was important. It had had goods. It had trade. It had had good business going on because of that. There was about 200,000 people, give or take, one or two. It was a center, they they say it was a center of science and medicine. So there were a lot of different science and medicine going on. And they had this specific street. They called it the Golden Street. And it's not really the Golden Street that we think of when we're thinking of heaven, right? It's completely opposite of that, actually. The Golden Street consisted of all these different places you could go worship. So if you imagine this big street, and on each side it had these nice buildings that you could go in and you could worship, but it's not the type of worship that, that we think of in the Christian church. It was a, a different type of worship where you could worship pretty much whatever god you wanted to worship. All these different cults, pagans, they had all these different buildings you could go in. One day you could go and worship one god, the next day you could go and worship another god. It was set up for anybody, everybody, free for all. So there was some struggles going on with the church of Smyrna, and this is what Jesus is saying. And one of the two that I think are important is the Jewish population and how they opposed the church of Smyrna, how they opposed Christianity. The second was the non-Jewish population and how they were so loyal to Rome that they would worship Caesar. And if we look at it, Smyrna, out of the seven churches, Smyrna is one of the two that Jesus does not have to correct. So round of applause for them. Jesus does not have to correct the church of Smyrna. And and as we read, we kind of understand why. We, We see what he says. And this letter starts out with first and last and died and came to life again. You know, after so much suffering that they were going through, he starts it out with, with such an encouraging part. He starts it out with saying, I was, I, I was dead, but I came to life. Again, what an encouragement that is to the church of Smyrna. And what of an encouragement that is to us as well, that we do not serve a dead God. We serve a a God that was dead and he is alive and he is still alive today. How amazing is that? Can we give a round of applause for that, that our God is still living today and he is actually going to come back for us? How amazing is that, that the God we serve is not dead? The book that we read, the Bible that we read is living and through us, Jesus lives as well. So I hope, I hope we can be reminded of that this morning, that, that the God we are reading about, the Jesus that we are reading about, he is not dead. He is alive and he is well and he is coming to return for us. The Church of Smyrna wasn't really winning the popularity contest. Okay? They weren't really the church that, that people liked. Obviously, we, we, we read that and we see because of all the suffering that they're going through. And it was due to their loyalty in Christ and them not deciding to, to choose to, to worship Caesar. You know, they were, they were physically, they were being afflicted and they were in poverty. And it's, it's hard for us, you know, in, in an American church to truly understand what that means. How many of us have, have really physically been hurt in the church besides youth group how much, how much of us have physically been hurt, and that was your decision, physically been hurt because we profess our faith in who we are in Christ? Not a lot of us have, and I'm, I'm willing to bet most of us have not been, been physically hurt because of, of who we are in Christ. Maybe some words, maybe people call us names, yes, we, we can agree with that. People probably call us names when they say things about us because We are Christians, but most of us have not been physically hurt because of who we are in Christ, and the Church of Smyrna was going through that. They were being persecuted. They were being killed because of who they were. But Jesus goes on to say that you are rich in faith. He's talking about their faith. They are so rich in their faith, and it was because they stayed true to Christ and his teaching. They stayed faithful to his ways and to his teachings. You know, some, some of the Jews and other religions, pagans and cults, they, they were putting Christians to death because of what they believed in. The church of Smyrna, people in that church, they were being put to death because of what they believed in. And we, we see that going all the way back to, to Paul, right? Paul was putting Christians to death as well. And it carried through, and it still carries through till this day. We look at other countries throughout the world and they cannot freely worship Jesus like we can. Otherwise, they will be put to death. They're, they're meeting in, in basements. They have to hide. Every time they come out of their house, they, they don't know. They could be killed because of who they believe in. So Jesus is coming in an encouraging and loving way and saying, I understand that you're suffering. How many people hate when people say, like, I understand what you're going through. Like, no, you don't. (laughs) But Jesus truly understood what they were going through. He came to them in a loving heart saying, Look, I understand you are being persecuted because of me. I understand the pain and suffering you are going through. And not only was was this persecution coming from other Jews and, and different cults and pagans, but it was also coming from the state of the Roman Empire. Because of the the Caesar worship in Smyrna, the church was suffering as well. You know, if, if you would not say that Caesar was Lord, probably wasn't a good day for you. Because about once a year, you would have to come up. And you have to come to the altar and give them a little bit of incense and say, Caesar is Lord. And then they would give you a certificate and write you off and say, okay, he said that Caesar was Lord. You, you can go on your way now. Right? Oh, well, not a big deal. Right? Is that a big deal? Well, you know, he, we say it, we confess it. Caesar, you're Lord. Not a big deal. No, I'm just going to go back to the church now and, and worship Jesus. No. The church of Smyrna stayed faithful to the teachings of Jesus. They only honored Jesus, they only stayed faithful to Jesus and all that they did. But Caesar, the Roman Empire, was saying, "You know what? No, no, no. you can come and say this. Just, just say it once. We'll give you a certificate, go on and go, and you'll be good. Then you can go worship whatever God you want to worship. That's fine. But Smyrna didn't back down. They said, no. I'm saying faithful. To our Lord and Savior Jesus, because He stays faithful to me. Can we look back in a time in our life to where we maybe didn't quite stay faithful to Jesus? You know, can you imagine that someone comes to persecute you because of what you believe in, and then all those things start going in your head? Well, I have a family, I have a wife, I have kids, I have a job that I like, I have friends. you know what? Yeah, Caesar, your Lord for today. Can you imagine doing that and all of a sudden we die and we come face to face with Jesus? And we're like, no, but Jesus, like before that happened, no, I was serving you and I really was serving you, and I love you. I want to be like the church of Smyrna. I want to be able to come face to face with Jesus and say, you know what? I remain faithful to you because you remained faithful to me. I didn't even budge when they asked me that question. So if, if you take notes, I, I don't have like a one, two, three, four step thing, but this is one that I think is important. We need to stop with the compromise and know that He is Lord. We need to stop compromising things in our life and know that Jesus is Lord. You know, in John 14 16, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's it. There's no other way. You can't be just a good person. You can't 90% believe in Jesus, the other 10% some other religion, or 4%, another 3%, and 2%. I have bad math, but whatever that adds up to. I don't know. Maybe I can try on that up later. But we can't just kind of commit to Jesus. It's not what he's saying. He says, no, I am. I am the only way. We need to stop with the compromise And know that he is Lord. In the church of Smyrna, they were not willing to compromise. Have we ever compromised? As a church, have we ever compromised? I hope not. And I hope if we have, the Lord reveals that to us so we don't make that mistake again. And as individuals, I I hope we're not. I hope if we have, that, that we have asked for forgiveness on that. And we say today, Lord, I, I, I am done. I, I don't want to compromise anymore. I want to be like the Church of Smyrna. Are we compromising our, our relationship with Jesus? Have we ever compromised that? Are we saying, you know what? It's fine. I have somewhat of a relationship with Jesus. He knows me. I know him. We're, we're cool. But as far as growing more in that relationship, that, that, that might come at a later date. But what if Jesus comes before that later date is it too late then are we willing to compromise until that moment cuz we don't know we we don't know it says the day and the hour is unknown we we have no idea and we're saying you know i'm going to compromise until i get to this age i'm going to compromise until until this moment in my life and then, and then maybe i can really you know seek after you god then maybe my relationship i want to build my relationship but just right now i'm kind of testing the waters bro that's it I'm just going to see how this plays out. Not the church of Smyrna. That's not what they were doing. They stayed faithful. And due to Smyrna not compromising, Jesus says this to them in verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. Write this one down. Know your future is with him. If we are in Christ, if we are staying faithful to Christ, just know your future is in him. Because Jesus is telling us right here, he's telling the church, hey, you know what? And you know what's coming is pain and the unknown. And I don't know about you, but I'm not a big fan of those two things. I know based on how tough I am, you would think that I'd be okay with pain. But I'm not, I don't like, that was a joke, you guys. I don't like pain. I don't think any of us like pain here. And we also don't like the unknown. Most of us, probably all of us, don't really like the unknown. Not knowing what's coming. We don't really like that. We are afraid to die, right? Some of us are afraid to die. Even as Christians, I talk to some Christians, they're afraid to die. And that can go from a lot of different, well, I'm afraid how I'm going to die. First of all, I don't know how I'm going to die. Or I'm afraid really what does happen after death. Just remember this, your future is with him. We don't have to worry about those things. How I'm going to die, I I have no idea. But I know my future is with him. What happens when I die, that immediate thing? Do I see angels? Do I see all white? Do I see Jesus right away? I'm not sure, but I know my future is with him, so whatever comes, I'm trusting in him. Knowing he is going to return for us, unless we die before that, obviously. But then he reminds us, and he's reminding them, to be faithful even till death. And he says the crown we, the, that crown that we will receive is a, is a heavenly reward. Because athletes back then, when you won something, you were given a crown. And what I believe is, is, is being spoke of here is, is when we're finished with this life here on earth, and we're truly seeking God, we are going to receive that crown. If any of you guys have played sports, it's not fun to lose. Well, for me anyways, I don't like to lose. And so if I'm trying to win at something and I know there's a prize, I want to get that prize. I want to be be given that. And so when I lose, I'm sitting there thinking, oh man, I wish I would have gotten that. Can you imagine at the end of our life, if we don't receive that crown and we're sitting back and we're like, I didn't receive that. Because it's just not a temporary thing. It's an eternal thing. Thing that Jesus, it's not it's just not this thing that's temporary. It's an eternal crown of life that Jesus is giving us. You know, and after fifty years, after this this was written in the church of Smyrna, um, after, after fifty years John, after bleh, after John's death, fifty years later, there's a man named Apollicart, and he was the pastor of Smyrna. This is fifty years after John's death. Okay. Polycarp was murdered. He was a martyr. He was burned to death at the age of 86 years old. Burned to death because he stayed faithful to Jesus. The church of Smyrna, after this letter was written, continued to stay faithful to Jesus. And I really hope 50 years down the line from today, 50, 60, 70 years down the line from today, People can look at our church and say, you know what? That church, Valley Metro Church, they stayed faithful to Jesus. They didn't sway to the right. They didn't sway to the left. They kept their eyes on the prize. They kept their eyes on Jesus and they stayed faithful to him. And as individuals, we can't do that as a church if we're not doing that individuals. as individuals. We cannot sway to the right. We can't sway to the left. We have to stay focused on Jesus. And yeah, we look, at, we look at Polycarp and be like, man, 86 years old? You guys really burned him? An 86-year-old man. I mean, not that it's any better if he's like 12 or 15 or 40, whatever. It's a human. But an 86-year-old man was, was killed because he said, you know what? I am not going to call Caesar my Lord. I am going to call Jesus Christ my Lord. And because of that, he was burned to death. And he was at peace because of it. Because he knew his future. He knew where he was going. And the question is, the big question is, do we know where we're going? Do we know where we're going to spend eternity? Because this letter was written in a loving way, but most of these letters were written as warnings. It was a warning to the church saying, hey, you know, I know what you're going through. Just know the end is near. The end is coming. And we have to ask ourselves that question. We have to ask ourselves, am I ready... At the end of my life, whenever that may be, do I know, do I truly know where I'm going to spend eternity? Because guess what? There's, there's two options. There's heaven and there's hell. There's nothing in between. That's, that's all we got. So we got to ask ourselves, am I going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus or am I going to spend it in hell, apart from him, away from him? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. And I, I titled this message today, Faithful or Flirting? I was going to wink at some of you guys because someone told me to, but I'm not going to do it. Faithful or flirting? Okay, the faithful church of Smyrna. And Now we're going to go to the flirting church, the church that kind of flirted a little bit. We all know that flirt back in high school, middle school, right? Kind of had a crush on them. They started to flirt with someone else. We got mad. We got upset. Right? So this is what Jesus does is he writes a letter to Pergamum. In that letter, he says this. We're moving on to verse 12 through 17. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Anipas, my faithful witness." Who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives? Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who who hold on to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So Pergamum, very similar as far as the city Um, It wasn't a coastal city. It was more inland, about 20 miles. And it served as the capital of the Roman province of Asia Minor for 250 years. And they also had multiple cults, multiple beliefs. Um, They worshiped a lot of different gods, a lot of different idols. Kind of had the same history. They worshiped Caesar. And it was actually the first city in Asia to build a temple for Caesar. In verse 13, Jesus begins with I know where you live. Whoa, right? That is not, let's get this clear, that is not a threat, okay? Of course he knows where we live. That's not a threat to to us. That's not a threat to them. Hey, I know where you live, okay? If someone's ever said that to us, it's probably because it was a threat, okay? Jesus is not threatening them. He's saying, I know where you live. And he's saying it because of everything that is going on around them, because of all the cults, because of all the the pagans, because of all the different gods that they're worshiping. He calls it the place of Satan. Satan had a stronghold on this city, and he knew the environment of which this church was in. And I feel like, for us, we can kind of compare to that, right? As be, being in Los Angeles, I feel like, like we can compare to that, and Jesus is comforting them, and he's saying, hey, I understand your living situation. And it was due because of all of everything that was going on. And I feel as, as being in Los Angeles, we can kind of get a feel of, of what that's like. You know, I read something that 54%, this is a very low number, I, I would think, 54% of people who live in LA identify as religious. Only 54% identify as religious. Someone who's good with math, you can figure out the other percentage that does not. And a side note on that, as a church, as valley Metro church, as Christians, what an opportunity that is for us. Right? I don't know the breakdown of the 54%, but I'm assuming not all of them are Christian. Okay, how many people live in L.A. County? Like 10 million, 12 million, whatever it is. Okay, so 50% of that They believe in some sort of religion, some sort of God. They have some sort of religion. And I would assume that not all of them are Christians. So what an opportunity that is for us as individuals to shine the light of Christ throughout the city of Los Angeles. And that other percentage, what an opportunity that is to show them that we serve the living God. We serve the only God. What an opportunity that is for us. And the church understood, Pergamum, they understood who Jesus was and what he did. But some of them had difficulties living that out. Who can agree with that? Right? We're not perfect. It's difficult to live that out. So that's why he's addressing that. And I like to think of it as, it's easier to live a life of Christianity when you're surrounded by Christians. Right? When you all have one common goal— it's very easy, well I shouldn't say very easy, it's easier to follow the ways of Jesus when you're surrounded by other Christians. Once you're out of that, that's when it starts to get really difficult. Okay, I, I was in a missionary organization and for a couple of years that's all I knew, that's all I was surrounded by, was a group of people that were so on fire for the Lord It was like 24-hour worship, 24-hour encouragement, 24 hours of your mind, your heart, and your living situations on Jesus. And then I stepped out of that and hit the real world. And that's when it started to get very difficult because I was not used to how people live in this world. And I was just, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I want to go back and dig my little hole and be right here because it was so comfortable for me. And I step out in the real world, and all of a sudden, all these influences come at me. All of a sudden, I'm exposed to this world. Just like this church. Just like our church. Just like all of us. We're exposed to this world. We live in this world. That's a reality. We cannot escape that. We can't just, well, we can talk to Pastor Vine, but we can't just pitch tents here and live here. Like, we can't do that. We have to go out and do our lives, but when we do our lives, when we go out and we live our life, who are you surrounding yourself around? Last week in youth group, we talked about friends. We talked about we can choose our friendships. We know that. Unless you're like two years old and your parents have playdates with you, and I highly doubt most of you guys have playdates these days, you can choose who you want to hang out with. You can choose who you want to be around. That decision is up to you, Who are you deciding to be around because it's easier to blame someone else when we fall into sin, right? And sometimes that influence, influence draws us to that particular sin. And, and all of a sudden we, we end up sinning. We're like, well, it was because of them. Okay, well, simple as that. Step away from them. Stay focused on, on what, what the prize is. Stay focused on Jesus. Surround yourself around those people that you want to be like. Surround yourself around those people who are Christ-like. In Pergamum, they had an idea of Jesus' teachings, but some of them had difficult times leaving that out. And Jesus gives an example of Antipas, And he's reminding them of the faithfulness that he had. He says this, Not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city. Just like Smyrna, they had Caesar worship. And Anapas remained faithful to Jesus and only Jesus. And he said, only Jesus is Lord. So he was put to death and he was burned to death. He was put inside this, this brass bowl. Okay, So they stuck him in this brass bowl and they lit a fire underneath of it. And he literally burned to death. Not a good way to go out. He knew it was coming. They knew it was coming because they would not deny that Jesus was Lord. So Jesus gives this church an example of what faithfulness looks like. And he says, hey, remember him? Yeah, he was burned to death. But he stayed faithful to me. He stayed faithful to me. And I want to remind you of how faithful he was. He was part of the church. He was faithful to me. And I think that's a good reminder to faithfulness, right? That's, that's extreme. That's, that's a big thing that, that Jesus reminded them of. Like, hey, look you guys, this man was burned to death and he stayed faithful towards me. And when they lit the fire, he didn't say, hey, actually, let's renegotiate. Hold on one second. No, he stayed in there and he was at peace because he knew where he was going. He knew why he was doing it. It's, under, it's hard for us to understand this one as well, right? None of us have ever been threatened to be burned to death because of our faith in Jesus. Some of us can understand that it's hard to talk about Jesus because of everything going on in this, this world and Christians are known as hypocrites and I like to say, well, if we're known as hypocrites, let's, let's prove them wrong. Let's live out the word of God then. If, if Christians are known as hypocrites, if Christians are known as hateful, we're in that category. So let's begin to prove them wrong. Let's begin to to love and live like Jesus lived. Let's let's begin to to live a different way than what the world thinks as Christians. Because nowadays, it's hard to tell people you're a Christian. It really is. You say, I'm a Christian, and all of a sudden they think, oh my gosh, you're a hypocrite. You hate everybody that sins. No, that's that's not the Christian lifestyle. Look Look at the way Jesus lived. Can you imagine if actually people lived how Jesus lived and they associated themselves with Christians? This world would be changed upside down, just like the disciples did it. There wasn't 100 different disciples. He did it with 15, 16-year-olds. They changed the world upside down because of their faithfulness in Jesus and they followed his teachings. Are we following the teachings of Jesus? Are we loving like he loved? Are we living like like he lived? Are we forgiving like he forgave? And after that reminder, he gets into the correcting, the fun part, and what he has against them. Be reminded this is Jesus speaking to this church. The correction, in a loving way, he's correcting them. The Lord corrects those that he loves. Be reminded of that. Verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, there are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they food sacrifice to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So, some of the church, some of them, not all of them, because he talks about how they were faithful, some of them in the church were making light of sin not that bad. Sin, you know, people do it, right? Sinning, it's, I mean, yeah, you do it. It's okay though. Living a life of sin, it's fine. Jesus loves everybody. He'll forgive us. If we truly love someone, we don't want to hurt them, right? If you truly love someone, you do not want to hurt them. How many people know that sin hurts God? Sin is separated from God. So every time we are sinning, That hurts God's heart when we sin. And people are making light of that. Well, sin, I mean, it's just sin. Everybody sins. Of course we say that. Yeah, everybody sins. Nobody's perfect. Yes, we we can say that, but I feel like we say that so much for an excuse for us to go out and sin. It's an excuse for Christians to go out and live a lifestyle of sin and get away from the holiness and purity of Jesus. We begin to, to make excuses. Well, so-and-so sins, so I can sin. Well, they made a mistake, now I can make a mistake. Jesus forgives. Yes, Jesus forgives. His grace is never ending. But if we truly love someone or something, we do not want to hurt that person. If we truly love Jesus, we want to go as far away from sin as possible. And they began to say this, well, culture has changed, so what's the big deal? How many times do we hear that, right? Right? When someone asks me a question, is this a sin? Whatever it is, fill in the blank, is this a sin? Well, you're probably asking that question because you're doing it, so yeah, it probably is a sin. Or maybe you just really want to know if that's a sin. And if I say, yes, it's a sin, then here come the excuses. Well, isn't that just kind of back in biblical times? Like, things have changed, culture has changed. No, the Word of God remains. The Word of God stays the same. People were making light of sin. And I feel like the churches these days, and even as individuals, we make light of sin. And we say it's not that bad. But as Jesus says, he's telling them, hey, look, I've got to correct you in this area in your life. You guys are holding on to these teachings. And so those who were saying this, making light of the sin, they were, they were following the ways of Balaam and Nicolaitans saying, you know what? We're not going to follow it fully. We're not going to commit ourselves completely to Balaam and and his teachings. We'll just do a little bit of it. right? Just just a tad bit of that, and then we'll come back to Jesus. Because we we do want to follow you, Jesus. We understand your ways are good. And we're scared to go to hell, and I just want to follow you. So... A little history on that, Balaam was a prophet in the Old Testament. Numbers, right? Numbers. <laughs> and Balak was a king of Moab. And he heard the Israelites were coming. This is when the Israelites were overtaking all these kingdoms and all these lands. So Balak got scared. He's like, oh no, here come the Israelites. What am I going to do? They're going to overtake my kingdom. What should I do? And he, he knew of this, this prophet named Balaam. So he sends his men out and he goes, hey, go get this guy named Balaam. Bring him back here because he's a prophet. And and I've heard, and what happens is whoever he curses, they're cursed. So he curses people and and bring him back because I want him to curse these Israelites so they're cursed. But he also blesses people. And if he blesses people, they'll be blessed. But I want him because I want him to curse the Israelites. So Balak asked him to come. And he wants him to curse him. And Balaam says, look, I'm going to go to the Lord. And whatever the Lord puts in my mouth, in my heart, I'm going to speak it. I can't help it. Whatever comes out, comes out. Well, obviously the Israelites were doing good in the eyes of the Lord. And he was faithful to them. So not once. Not twice, but three strikes, you're out. Three times he opens his mouth to curse the Israelites. And every single time it's a blessing. (laughs) didn't go quite as planned as he wanted. He's like, I'm paying you all this money. I wanted to give you everything. All you had to do is curse these people. But how many people know God's in control? And how amazing is that? God is in control and he says, no, these are my people. They are going to be blessed. So since that didn't work, they came up with another strategy. Balaam's like, well, why don't you just go send the women and they can seduce all the Israelite men. Have them go down there and, and seduce all of the Israelite men, or as many as you can. And when you eat this food, you can sacrifice it to these other gods. That's how we'll get them. So that's what they did. They sent women to go seduce these men into sexual acts and eat this food and, and commit adultery and to also sacrifice these foods and eat it for other gods. And so that's why when it comes to this, God does not make light of sin. Because guess what happened after that? 24,000 people got wiped out completely. That's a lot of people. 24,000 people got wiped out because of what had happened. It wasn't just a little thing that God takes lightly. God does not take sin lightly. He wiped out 24,000 people because of what had happened. And those were the, the ways of Balaam. That's why in Revelation it talks about the ways of Balaam. It talks about the sexual immorality. It talks about um, eating these foods and, and offering it up to other gods. And so this is what the church was doing. They started, they were holding on to Jesus' teachings, right? But then they started to flirt with these other things. Some of them just a little bit. They just flirted, tested the waters a little bit, but some of them fully committed to this and said, you know what, no, Jesus' ways are good, but we want to follow these ways as well. But God isn't having that. He says, I am the only way, right? No other way except through me. And sometimes we want to do the same. Even though we don't admit it, I want you to search your heart for a second. Even though we don't admit this, do we flirt with sin sometimes? Just a little bit? We begin to look at ways we can kind of bend it a little bit to where it's like, well, that's not quite a sin. And that's what some of these were doing in the church. They were teaching this in the church. They were teaching these sexual acts, they were teaching ways to honor other gods inside the church. And that's when Jesus comes in and he says, no, this is my reputation, guys. This isn't the way that you were designed to live. Matthew 7 says, small is the gate and narrow is the path. This is Jesus' response to the church following the teaching of Balaam. He says this, repent, therefore. When we we read that word, repent, you automatically think, "Uh uh-oh, I did something wrong. He says, repent. Be reminded, God... Loves us. And he corrects us in a loving way. He didn't say repent and kill you right now. He says this. He says repent therefore otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You guys, God does not tolerate sin. And we continuously see this throughout scripture. God does not tolerate Tolerate sin. And time and time again we see the Israelites falling back. And then they're coming to him, And then they're falling back. And then they're coming to him. They, time and time again. And in the churches I believe it's going on as well. There's things going on in the churches this day and age that Jesus does not approve of. There are things going on in our own personal lives that we're going through that God does not want to tolerate. Because he does not tolerate sin. God is completely away from sin. They're separated. They cannot be together. So if we say we're in Christ and we're sinning, if we're living a lifestyle of sin, that's the big key word. If we're living a lifestyle of sin, that means we're living away from God. That means we're living away from the teachings of Jesus. And we can't say, well, no, most of the time though, God, we're we're following you. Because that's what they were doing. Most of the time they were, but they also were following the other ways of Balaam. And he's not tolerating it. He says, Repent. He says, Turn away from what you are doing. It's a loving warning to turn away and go back to God. Remember that. I want to say this God is just. God is sovereign, and he is love. Sometimes it's hard to understand that, especially as a kid. It's like you get disciplined by your parents. You're like, well, why would you spank me? I thought you loved me. Right? God wants to discipline us. He loves us. He wants us to turn back towards him. He wants us to repent. This is one of my favorite verses. We're going to read it real quick. It says, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. I wasn't kidding when I said three and a half hours, guys. <laughs> verse 9 says this Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Am I wicked? Are we wicked? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Let's stop there. Quit reading 11. Is it up there? Stop reading 11. We'll get back to that. This is another reminder that God does not tolerate sin. Now we can read 11. Listen to this. Listen to the grace and love that he has through Jesus. This is amazing. This wrecked me when I read this. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He goes down a list of things saying that we're not going to inherit the kingdom of God if we're living this lifestyle. And there's probably more to add to that. That was just a little bit. Paul saying, you're not going, if you're living this lifestyle, you are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But let's read 11 one more time. And that is what some of you were. You were washed, were being past tense. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus is reminding the Pergamum church to repent from their sin and only follow him. He is reminding us today, repent from your sin, your own individual sin. You make up the church. Repent from your sin because I do not tolerate this sin in this church. I do not tolerate sin if I am in you. I feel like he wants to remind us of that today. He's reminding us, just like he was reminding the church, I love you so much. I do not want you to go down this path or down this path. I want you to come to the path that leads you to me because that is how much I love you. Yes, maybe some of us can look through this and say, yes, I was that. I was that one too. Oh man, I was was that one too. Maybe some of us can read all that and be like, oh boy, I had a bad life. But look at 11, we were washed, we were sanctified, we were caught in his grace. And because of Jesus, and only because of Jesus, we can now be in direct relationship with him. And we can now have that opportunity to be corrected and focus back on him. If I can get the worship team to come up here. In verse 17, he reminds us of of our reward. And he says this, Whoever has ears, which is all of us, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. The manna he gave to the Israelites, right, when they were wandering, he gave them tons of manna. And he's saying, I will give you some of the hidden manner," Meaning he's going to fill us spiritually, I feel. I feel that's what he's saying. He's going to continuously fill us spiritually over and over again. And then he goes on to say about the white stone. Now this one, this one, there's a couple different ways to look at it. People think a couple different things. And I guess the best way to know is to die, obviously, and, and see what it truly means. But a white stone back then in athletics, it was a representation for you winning. So you would win and you would get this white stone. And it was an admission to the winner's celebration after the event. Okay, so with this white stone, you had admission to the winner's celebration. Meaning... If we're presented with a white stone, we have admission into the heavenly gates with our name written on it. We have admission from this white stone if we live for Jesus, if we are committed to Jesus, if we are faithful to Jesus. He's promising this white stone and an admission to heaven. You know, looking at both churches, one was completely faithful the other was faithful, but they liked, liked to flirt a little bit. They began to flirt with sin, a couple different views, a couple different beliefs, mingling a little bit of everything, and with Jesus. You know, and this is kind of a hard message to talk about because we don't like to talk about sin. We don't like to talk about our shortcomings. Because especially in L.A., we like to be perfect people, Right? We like to go shopping in Beverly Hills. We like people look at us and, and think that we're worth something. But something that I love about Smyrna, they feared the sword of the Lord. They did not fear the sword of Caesar. They weren't in it to please man. They were in it to please God. And what are we today? If we can truly examine our hearts today, if we can look into our hearts, if each one of us can look into our hearts, what church are you representing today? What church do you want to represent? Are you the church that is so faithful, so committed to Jesus? You understand the amount of love he has for you that nothing will separate you running and turning the other way. Because I want to be that church. I want to be that person. I want my church to represent that. Are we Pergamum? Yeah, we love you, Jesus. We get you. We read your word and we understand it. But we like to be fulfilled with these other things. And Jesus is warning them and he's saying, hey, look, you need to repent of that. Because the amount of love I have for you, I don't want to see you go down that path. I don't want to see you have a destructive life. I want to give you a life full of love. I want to give you a life full of purpose. You know, when I used to go on YouTube a lot, randomly I I saw this one video and it was when the beginning well not really the beginning i think it was like 2008 when we were still you know heavily heavily in iraq and all of our soldiers were getting sent over to iraq and the middle east and this video was all these soldiers coming back to the states and they got on camera the reactions of the family members and the friends of them returning home and time and time again you see open arms and running towards each other embracing each other. I'm not going to lie, I got choked up a little bit watching that because I saw the amount of love that they had for each other when they embraced each other. It was a long time in between them seeing each other. And I like to look at it as I truly hope when my life here on earth is finished that I only can run to Jesus and have him run to me and embrace me like they were embracing each other in that video. Because God honors the faithful one. He honors your faithfulness. He honors when you, when you seek after him, when your eyes are on him. He wants you today to turn back to him. The sin that you're going through, if you're going through sin, yes, Jesus died on the cross for that sin. You are forgiven, but you need to repent of that sin and turn back to him. These are two churches that represented faithfulness. One fully and one just a little bit. How faithful are you being to Jesus? You need to examine that in your heart. You need to ask that question today. God, am I honestly... Truly seeking after you with everything that I got. Or are you just flirting a little bit with it? Let's pray. Jesus, we we thank you so much for, for your word, God. And we ask that today, Lord, if, if there's anything in, in our life, any one of us, God, if there's a certain sin in our life that, that we've been trying to deal with but we, we just can't get away from it if there's a certain group of people or a certain someone that's holding us back from truly seeking after you in all that we do Lord we pray that you would reveal that to our hearts today we pray that that you would come and love us so hard today Lord that our eyes our heart our motives would be for you and you alone Lord teach us Teach us to be faithful to you. Not just a little bit, God, but teach us to be fully committed to you no matter what happens in our life. If there's persecution, if there's words of hurt, if there's people who will literally turn their back and walk away from us, Lord, I pray that we are willing to continuously seek you through all those circumstances, just as Smyrna did, Lord. Father, come into our life right now. We thank you so much for what you're doing in this church. Father, I pray that this would be a church of Smyrna. That in 50 years, people in Los Angeles could look back on Valley Metro Church and they would say, that was the faithful church. That was the church that served me. That was the church that stayed true to my teaching. Lord, help us in this. We love you and we thank you. In your name, amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.